With almost superhuman strength, he pushes back cars blocking crosswalks with his bare hands. And he helps the elderly safely navigate the congested streets. He even paints crosswalks where there are none to be found. When it comes to defending the rights of pedestrians, no task is too small for Peo Tonito. This modern-day hero is the alter ego of 26-year-old Jorge Cañez, who works by day at a nonprofit that promotes sustainable growth in Mexico City. I'm trying to catch the attention of citizens who don't respect pedestrians, as well as the authorities who don't have adequate public policies to allow pedestrians to move around the city safely. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. All right, everyone, this is Chuck Marone back at CNU 22. I have with me the first superhero that has ever been on the Strong Towns podcast, Piatonito. Could I say that correctly? I'm a Minnesotan, so that's kind of a hard one for me. Yeah, the correct way to say it is Piatonito. Piatonito. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to confess something to you. When I saw you on the program, without actually seeing you visually or seeing like any of your stuff, I kind of assumed this was a joke, like silliness, right? Now, I was here last night when you were here, First of all, you're a good-looking guy. Like, you got a mask, and you're, like, you know, fit, and you're out there doing this stuff. This isn't a joke. And you are, really, truly are a superhero. Here's images of you moving cars out of crosswalks, helping people in wheelchairs across the street, helping old ladies cross the street safely. You're a real urban pedestrian superhero. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. This is fantastic. So I want to talk about you're from Mexico City. Let's talk a little bit about what you do and, and how you got started doing this. All right. All started when I started to be in activist groups, no? Because in Mexico City, there's a lot of activists for, for bicycle, no? Bicycle advocacy. But then nobody do anything for pedestrians except one group. So I, I joined them and then I, I wanted to be more like the transmit the message in a funny way, no? So uh, once I went to the Lucha Libre, the wrestling match... And after the wrestling match, I, I bought a mask and a cape. And the other day, I went to the streets with my best friend. And another friend took us photos, and it was started to viralize the Piatonito stuff. Yes. And so Mexico City is kind of notorious for traffic. But a lot of people there walk. A lot of people there don't own a car or can't own a car. A lot of people need to get around. It's not a very humane place for people outside of a car. All of a sudden, here you are in your mask and your cape helping people day after day. What is that like? What does that feel like? I mean, how do you go about intervening and making those things happen? I do it just uh, like a hobby. Yeah. I have my work and then in in my spread time, I go out to the streets like a luchador, like a wrestler. It's just for having fun. Yeah. And, And... and I love that because I'm spreading the message, no? The, the pedestrian is the king. Give the preference to the pedestrian and to the government to invest more money in pedestrian infrastructure. So that's what I'm trying to, to do, and, and, and it's been uh, successful, no? But there's a lot to work to do, no? In, in the pedestrian stuff. Because we walk and we take it for granted, Right, no? right. But walking is our um, more natural way to commute, 
no yeah, yeah. It's sustainable no it's it's natural but what happened that we are building cities for the cars and not cities for the people no we got cities for the kids for the elders for the people uh, with wheelchairs no we, we want those cities so that's why we are fighting for and here in the CNU we are all superheroes because we are saving lives yes. we are saving lives through the urban design tell me how people out on the street react to you first let's talk about the way people in cars react to you because you've got the mask you've got the cape you're not inconspicuous. I mean, people are going to see you out on the street. How do the cars react to you when they see you out there? I have a, a statistic like uh, 90% of the car drivers, they react with an, a smile, no? Because yeah. they, are, they are part of a show and they know that they uh, are in a mistake when they don't give the preference to the pedestrian. 90%. But there's always like a 10% that are in a bad mood and call me things or, or shout to me or, or be angry. But that doesn't matter. No? It's only 10% and, and it's part of the job. Yeah. How about the people outside of cars that you meet walking around? Are they afraid of you? Do they come up and give you a hug? What's their reaction to what you're doing? They uh, thank me no, for my labor. They want also photos with me. And that's all, no? They are very happy that someone is doing something for the pedestrian rights. Yeah. Talk about why you do this. Just for fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, There's some love here too, right? I mean, you're, you've taken something serious and made it fun. Yeah. But you're also dealing with a real serious issue. Yeah, but that's like my quote. Do activism fun, no? Because sometimes uh, if you arrive to a congress and, and you see a man talking and it, it, maybe the, the, it's boring, no? Because you are not into the topic. But uh, if you see a masked man like showing uh, funny slides about pedestrians, activism, and how it's, you, we need to invest in pedestrian infrastructure, that, that's a way to transmit a message. No? Yeah. We have the, the good guys that, that are, are making all the, this uh, avant-garde urban designs, no? but we need to get out of this bubble of urban planners no? to spread the message to all the people because we are all pedestrians. We all live in our cities. We can die hit by a car any day, no? In Mexico City, one pedestrian died per day. So that's horrible, and we need to change that. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about some of the success you've had? Because you've been invited by the governments to come in and, and give presentations and explain things, and people have actually, policies have changed. There have been sidewalks put in because of work you've done. There have been different. Can you talk a little bit about some of the success you've had as a guy with a mask and a cape out there just advocating for people? Right. First of all, it's not only me. I'm just the, the funny guy of the pedestrian activism. There's a lot of good guys, of good activists, of planners that are in this fight also, but more in the office or more in the academy or more in the public office. We are like a group of people pushing the topic, no? And, and my job is to spread the message, no? This success is because I, I knew how to sp spread the message, no? With a mask and a cape. I did it just for fun, but then it was successful to convince more people. Here, the, the, the new urbanists, we know that, that we are right. But we need to spread the message and to have more people in our side. Mm -hmm. You are active on Facebook, Twitter. 
I've got your email address here. I'll put all those on the website for people so they can get those. Can people get a hold of you and invite you to come and give a presentation to them and talk to them about this stuff and, and do things in their city? Of course. If, if they pay for my transport, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and let me say, this has been really eye-opening to me. I started this conversation saying I discounted what you were doing, and as soon as I saw it, I realized this is a brilliant communicator communicating something really, really important in a really effective way. I'm amazed by you, and I really enjoy your work and appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the point, no? Sometimes you, you fail, but you continue doing fun stuff, and someday a fun stop, it's a massive weapon of communication. So that's the point, no? To spread the message, convince more people, and have better cities for our kids, for our elder people, and, and not make walking an extreme sport, no? Walking, we need to do it because we want, no? Because in order to be happy yeah and do it with a smile on your face yeah the pictures of you jumping over cars doing kind of the superman pose it is inspiring it's really great and i'm blown away thank you very much i, I think we need we need one of you in every city don't we yeah yeah that's why peatonito is created commons no everybody yeah. everybody can be peatonito on you or you can be another thing no whatever you want to be but protect the pedestrians and, and there are some copycats out there right some people yeah. that have put yeah. on the mask and the cape and go out there and yeah help. and i love that more yeah. people is better peatonito thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you very much chuck <laughs> you take care yeah hello to everyone there All right, back at CNU 22 with John Young from the Urban Cincy Podcast. Welcome to the Strong Guns Podcast. Thank you for having me on, John. You guys do a really fun, well-focused podcast, mm -hmm. well-produced. I was on it. It was a blast. But you do it in this like geographically interesting way where you're bringing in people from all over the place. I really think the quality of your production and the quality of the conversation is excellent. So I'm a little bit embarrassed to have you with our hack job here, but welcome. Well, uh, th thank you for having me. I'm an avid listener of your podcast as well. And we happen to have some of our staff, his name is Travis Estelle, who um, went through school and actually did podcasting as part of his program in, yeah. in UC. So he's got the technology and we have uh, the room set up. When we had you on the podcast, we Skyped you in, but we, next time we want to have you actually in the studio. Oh, that, that would record. be cool. Yes. Yeah. You know, we've been trying to get to Cincinnati for a while. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to happen at some point here soon because we've built up enough connections and stuff there to make it happen. So we'll have to focus on that. Mm -hmm. You have some crazy bridge problems. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I would like to talk a little bit about the framework of the work you do. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about Cincinnati because okay. Cincinnati is Cincinnati is a place where we could have a Congress mm -hmm. and I think have a lot to talk about there. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the Urban Cincy thing itself. Say a little bit about what your goal is, what you're mm -hmm. trying to do, and kind of the way you're impacting the dialogue there. Randy, who you met last year, yep. is the uh, owner and founder of Urban Cincy. He started the blog back in 2007. And now and is in Seoul? Is that where he's at? He's in Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. Doing Fascinating guy. Mm -hmm. The big reason why he started the blog was because there was no... No one was telling the positive story of the urban core of Cincinnati. Back then, downtown was, was closed up after 5 o'clock. We, we had a lot of negative perceptions when neighbors like over the Rhine, which are now celebrated. So Randy was really out there 
pushing the good information, the good news, before any, anyone else was. And it was a really a call to challenge the mainstream media of Cincinnati to actually stop you know, continuing the narrative of the suburbs are so much better than the city and yeah. actually look at what's going on in the city. Step up the game And step up bit. the game. And yeah. within this past year, we've, we've seen a huge change in the way the media is portraying downtown with all the revitalization and over the Rhine. It's still not quite there yet, but we're happy to have kind of pushed and made that impact to promote the urban core in a positive way. Right. There is a lot going on there that is, you know, positive to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the bridge thing because I know you've got a couple of these big things mm-hmm. going on. I know you've got the sales tax debate mm-hmm. that's happening and the transit. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say mess, but I, you, you've had this deep debate over transit recently. Yeah, it's been a very... Uh, Which very... one of those do you want to bite off here first? <laughs> well, we can start with the streetcar. Let's start with the streetcar. Okay. So after the current mayor, John Cranley, was elected in November, uh, the city council immediately took to try to pause the construction of the streetcar. Right. And they ordered an audit, a third-party audit, to verify the city staff's numbers. And third-party audit from KPMG actually came back and said the city staff and, is right. And, and let's just say, to be fair, he also ordered an audit on every highway project and interchange and bridge as well, right? <laughs> no, actually... Really? Wait, wait, wait a sec. <laughs> In fact, it was just on the streetcar. It was just on the streetcar. Okay. In fact, that very same week, council approved seventy million dollars in bonds to build an interchange at Martin Luther King Drive, which connects to the University of Cincinnati off of seventy one. And in terms of the streetcar, what are we talking about? Well, this is a, in terms of numbers, as far as like economic construction, impact or construction, no, construction numbers. It was about it's a hundred thirty four million dollar project right. that runs, I think, three point two miles so of rail. So let's see, really, a streetcar or two interchanges. I mean, I know where I'm falling in that debate. I mean, I, I wouldn't even bother with the math on the interchange, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, and the, th- the thing that's really – the questions that they're asking about the streetcar are long-term operations. Right. They, wanted, they wanted to have justification for operation, operating the streetcar 30 to 40 years mm-hmm. into the future. Mm-hmm. But when you look at, like, the interchange – Because, you know, because the tracks degrade so quickly. Exactly. Yeah. And the vehicles are just, you know, they're falling apart when you get them. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> But no one is asking questions about maintaining the uh, highway infrastructure that we have. Not at all. So we have the Western Hills Viaduct, which is one of the longest like overland viaducts in the country. It's built in 1931. It's basically falling apart. It will cost $200 million to replace this viaduct. It's coming out of city funds because it's not a state route. It's not a federal highway route. Okay. So we're looking at what ways we can finance that. We have the Brent Spence Bridge Project, yep. and that is something that's being contentious. Uh, Ohio has just passed legislation to allow tolling for the Brent Spence Bridge. Kentucky punted this year, and they'll look at it again next year. One of the things that kind of bring it back to a podcast you did with Rick Ryback, yeah. um, we were really talking about how do we start looking at funding our highway infrastructure in a more sustainable manner. I mean, I think Congress is, is set up this summer to go ahead and continue to add Let's more. Let's throw general- some money mm-hmm. in the same old pot in the same old system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, all that stuff funnels down to the states, and it f- eventually makes its way to Cincinnati. And, you know, in Cincinnati, we do not have any toll roads at all. Right. So there's this huge perception that the roads are basically free or we have the quote-unquote, you know, user fee, which is the gas tax. Right. I think introducing tolling into the Brent Spence Bridge project, and if that is what ends up happening, will serve as a wake-up call to get people in the Cincinnati region to actually better understand how transit is funded. Right. And why things like maybe investing in a streetcar system or a rail plan would actually be beneficial to the region. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the exact corridor, 
But describe what's going on there and why this streetcar makes some sense for Cincinnati, you know, where it's being proposed. So I've traveled to a lot of cities that have streetcar systems, Portland, Toronto, um, a couple other places. In Buffalo here, they have a light yeah. rail. What really strikes me as significant about Cincinnati's streetcar project is the way that it connects so many different amenities, riverfront, the ballpark, the Aronoff, museums, it's actually the market. C- connecting productive places, it destinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's doing it in a way where basically you can come down and park in over the Rhine and go to a Reds game, then go back up to the other end of the streetcar loop and go to Rheingeist, which is a local brewery, and then maybe go to a restaurant from the market. You will be able to do all of that without accessing a car. And the local opposition was always like, well, you can just walk that. And we actually have somebody a couple years ago who actually like timed a walk from the one end of the streetcar loop to the other one and then printed a, a story about it in the Inquirer. It was found that this, this interpretation was, had a lot of fallacies to it in the sense that like, you have a lot of people that are moving into the urban core that have strollers, that have bicycles, they're handicapped or they're elderly people. They're not going to be able to power walk from the riverfront to Finley sure, Market. sure. And those are the markets that the streetcar is going to help. It connects all these amenities in a way that the bus system does not. How is the demographics of Cincinnati evolving? I know there's been some stuff about it's, you know, it's getting younger, it's getting more diverse. How much of that do you see and do you experience? And, and is that an urban phenomenon or is it a, a regional phenomenon? Cincinnati is actually acting to attract a lot of uh, young professionals that are either returning back to Cincinnati. They grew up there. We're also seeing a lot of people who are kind of coming out of or being displaced from from top-tier cities where the cost of living is way too high and you can't actually afford anything that's in an an urban setting. And they're actually looking at, you know, relocating and moving into Cincinnati. There's um, this couple I met last year. They moved into an apartment building downtown and they're from Seattle. And they took a job in Cincinnati because they, they really liked the cost of living and they really liked that you could have the urban experience and it was, it's still affordable. Right. So we're really kind of attracting a lot of those people. And that's why Cincinnati has been ranked like on the top two or five cities to locate for business or to locate for, for living. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with or in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And you don't see Cincinnati in you know, new urbanist kind of circles like we're at today, you hear about Portland's and New York City and, you know, some of these kind of hip, like, planner kind of places. And you you don't see Cincinnati often in that list. Yet there's a lot of really kind of innovative, young people pushing things in, in an interesting direction, not only from a planning and urbanist standpoint, but from an art standpoint and from a culture standpoint. It seems like an exciting place. So Cincinnati has kind of a blessing and a curse in the sense that it was a big city before a lot of other cities became big. Right. So we have this, all these amenities of big cities. We have a great art scene. We have a great symphony orchestra. A lot of places, basically, that more mature cities have and cities that are growing still want. We have the ability to have these amenities, and that helps attract the new residents into, into the city. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the bridge a little bit? We can talk about the bridge, yeah. Why don't we talk about the bridge? Because I actually got stuck on your bridge <laughs> for like 45 minutes to get across it. I was told that that's like normal bridge yeah. traffic. Mm-hmm. You do have a bridge problem. Mm-hmm. What's the debate and the discussion? And I guess the tolling thing you kind of mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit. How is that proceeding? I mean, where are we at with okay, that conversation? So 90% of the bridge is in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. And screw those people. I mean, who needs them? 
but they're the ones that are basically in charge of figuring out a way to finance and build a bridge. Yeah, yeah, uh, I hear you. <laughs> so the way the the highway people are saying is that if you don't toll the bridge, you don't do it through public-private partnership, it's going to take about 20 or 30 years to cobble together the financing to build a bridge. Right. And there is an urgent need now, right? So, Is it a structural need, too? Because I know it's a traffic need. It's the traffic need. The structural integrity of the bridge is sound. Okay. The problem is that it's functionally obsolete. So the bridge originally had one lane less in each direction. Yeah. And they expanded it, and what that happened is the... The emergency lanes were eliminated. So right. we actually had an incident a couple years ago where this guy's car was disabled. Actually, another car ran into his car, and he fell out of his car down to into the water and died. Wow. Wow. And so I don't think anyone is disputing the need for having a new bridge just for the fact of needing to have those emergency lanes, yep. those breakdown lanes. The problem is that if you look at the proposal for the new bridge, you have essentially about 13 lanes of traffic in each direction on two bridges. So... They'll keep the existing Brent Smith Bridge and they'll build a brand new bridge right next to it. And then you'll merge both interstates in Covington now, and it's just a gigantic mess of highway. It's like the last thing you really need. It's like Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this impacts Covington, this impacts Cincinnati. Uh, There's this thing where apparently you have to decide somewhere around Union Terminal to go into Covington or go by Covington. Mm-hmm. So the decision points are going to be further away just to streamline the traffic. So it won't be as convenient for people to hop on the bridge downtown and go down to Covington and vice versa, which will help, you know, interstate traffic. So a lot of the planners say like, you know, 4%, I think, of the GDP of the United States of America travels on 75 and travels down the Brentsman's Bridge. Sure. So we do need to have a new bridge. I personally feel that we, don't, we might not need to have as big of a bridge. When you're looking at like decline of VMTs yep. and people's desirability to basically mode share and live in an urban setting where they're close to the neighborhood business district. You brought up the Rick Ryback podcast that we did earlier mm-hmm. about value capture and congestion mm-hmm. pricing. And I'm guessing that with tolls being a difficult conversation, no one's really talked about regulating traffic flow and supply demand of that bridge through a congestion pricing scheme, or or have they talked about that? No one is talking about congestion pricing. Because, I mean, the thing is, is that you have clearly more demand for the bridge than you have supply. Mm -hmm. Generally, when there is excess demand and limited supply, the price goes up. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you find a balance between supply and demand. It it seems to me like if you're trying to fund, like, where are we going to get the money to fund an expansion of this bridge? That congestion pricing that thing is a pretty clear way to get a clear market signal on how much demand is real and how much you actually could afford based on the, the demand that's there. You know, there's a talk of doing a tolled HOV lane yeah. down 75 that would basically give people the option to pay to have the express direct route and not get stuck in traffic. That would be one somewhat indirect way of congestion pricing. But what you guys talked about was, you know, like having the correct market price for the demand of what's needed. So like transit does the same thing. Why are we not doing that for automobile traffic? It all comes down to... You know, Congress being unable to or not having the political will to actually make the tough choices. And then we have communities that really are not having those discussions because they are still expecting to get that handout. Right. And I think Ohio is pretty much clear about we're going to support tolling on this. And they see it as being, you know, if tolling does go forward with Benson's Bridge, it will most likely be kind of an on-demand toll system. Sure, where sure. It could, it could escalate to yeah. peak times. Right. And so there would be a, con- a certain congestion 
factor to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. So it could go up and down based on demand. And a lot of people, it's really funny that you go to these public hearings, like, well, we're going to be using the, the other bridges. And like, for like maybe the first couple of months, they're going to use the other bridge. Right. Then I realize it doesn't really cost that much to use the Brent Spence bridge. We're just right. going to do that. And it becomes part of their daily routine. This is what we ran into when I was up in Vancouver. We got a great tour of Vancouver. And they basically showed us, you know, we don't toll people. What we do is just put lights, traffic signals up, and cost them their time. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting coming into the city. There was really not a congestion problem within the city, mm-hmm. but on the edge of it, there was a huge congestion problem because they were basically metering people by time coming in. It sets up an interesting case study mm-hmm. for me in Cincinnati as an outsider looking at it, where you could have one bridge that essentially was told with some type of almost a congestion pricing mechanism. And another one where it was still congestion priced, Mm -hmm. but the price you were paying was your time, not your money. And it would be interesting to see the dynamics between those two if it was set up kind of as parallel experiments, how human nature would value time and money. But do you think that like with traffic congestion in general, I mean, I I work for the city of Bellevue, Kentucky, and I used to live out in Middletown, Ohio, which is a 36-mile drive. And for six months, I've commuted from Middletown to Bellevue and got stuck on I-75 every single day, both ways. And it was about an hour-long commute, and I just hated it. That's why I voted for my feet and moved into the city so I can bike to work. Right. But people are making these drives every day, and Mm -hmm. there are some people that are actually sitting in their car and they enjoy it. They're like, well, I can get through listening to a CD or something. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It really comes down to, so you have the time experiment already happening with traffic congestion. Sure. We really need to start looking at getting a system in place where transit funding, transportation funding in general, can actually, like, is known to the, to the population. Because right. Because our, our huge problem the, is nobody knows okay. or cares. That, that, to me, that's the gap right now. Mm-hmm. Because when I choose to live way outside and drive in, I'm doing it under the assumption that the highway will be as low congested as when I move there. And then, lo and behold, everybody else has the same notion, and mm-hmm. so the highway becomes congested. But then I have this built-in notion in my head that the government will somehow solve that problem mm-hmm. because that's the number one social problem we have, right, is traffic congestion. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we need to level with people and say, you know, hey, this bridge, we're not going to expand this bridge we're going to price it so that it's not congested. You know, you said, and I think you're being generous, everybody agrees that we need more capacity here. And I think in the current paradigm we do, but I think you probably also agree that we could get by with no capacity if we priced it properly. Yeah, I think we, I think we could. <laughs> and there's a Twitter account called Move the Mill Creek. Yeah. They're really kind of advocating why are we trying to build a new bridge at all and we right. should be investing in transit and other alternative transportation and it's definitely a conversation that we we really should have had a long time ago but you now everyone's like everyone all leadership believes now we're too far along we need to build this bridge blah 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 and there's momentum behind it there's momentum behind yeah. it and then the, and if the federal government decides to change the policy on tolling existing highway infrastructure mm-hmm. then you might have the opportunity to actually start putting that type of congestion price toll on the Brent Spence Bridge without building the new bridge. Sure, sure. And then that could be something that works. I mean, London did congestion pricing, and it has worked out yep, tremendously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of 
evolving our transportation funding mechanisms into a, a system where we're no longer building the interstate, but we're actually like maintaining and enhancing the value of our places mm-hmm. has to be a correlation between supply and demand. It definitely and does. Then that, that's what's lacking. I want to talk to you before we finish up here just about Ohio in general. Because a lot of people, I think, that don't get Ohio look at it as this purple state because one election you'll go one way, the one election you'll go the other way from a national perspective. And they kind of equate, I think, purple with moderate. Like, oh, you know, Ohio's a bunch of just like middle of the road people who sometimes vote this way and sometimes vote this way. But when you actually like delve into Ohio, there's nothing kind of moderate about it. I mean, politics is a full contact sport. You know, you have places that are very blue, places that are very red. And you're also, because you're a battleground state, I feel like you get inundated with the worst of the red meat. And so your conversation almost gets more crazy and less pragmatic reality. You're nodding your head. How does this (laughs) impact what you're trying to do in terms of having rational conversations in a place like Cincinnati, that you're in this state that is like essentially in the middle of the tug of war. So it, I don't know if you were at the plenary, opening plenary yesterday with uh, Kenna Greenberg, I think. I, I'm going to say that I was. Okay. For anyway. the sake of this podcast and <laughs> you know my standing as a good new urbanist, I, of course I was there. I think I may have seen you there. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they actually had brought this argument that you know cities, it's not becoming a right or left battle anymore. It's becoming kind of urban versus suburban and rural battle. And so the, what you have going on in Ohio is you have a lot of urban population centers. You have five large cities, and three of them are the big, you know, Columbus, Cleveland, and, and Cincinnati are the biggest cities in the state. Those populations on the in the core are you know very progressive populations, but when we get in the suburbs, it starts to become more purple, and we get to the rural areas, it starts to become more red. Right now, Ohio has uh, you know a Republican governor, Republican state Senate, and Republican House uh, you know legislature. So right now, we're even though we voted for Obama in 2012, right. red. we're a red state. Yeah, I would say that Kentucky is a bit more purple because we actually, even though they voted for the Republican. For Romney, they have a, a Democratic governor, and they have a fairly progressive, a fairly prominent Democratic party. Sure. What happens in Ohio is basically you have a lot of rhetoric, and you have this attempt right now, because you have complete party alignment in the state level, to force through legislation like they've tried to force through a union-busting bill a couple years ago that was right. referendumed. And so there's an opportunity now for people that promote the highway infrastructure systems to get funding and divert funding to to road projects. And we, we saw that with the elimination of 3C funds. When Kasich came into office, he eliminated that funding and moved that funding instead to, to fund uh, road projects and uh, a bus hub. He approved legislation to take the, the toll money from the Lake Erie toll, tollway uh, on the north end of the state to locate funding for road projects in the south end of the state. So he uh, is basically making it easier to continue in the interest of, I think, his voter base, which is largely suburban and rural constituents, in taking power away from the city. So the, the economy is playing out, I think, not only in Ohio, but in a lot of cities, but more prominently in Ohio, because we don't have that strong urban center like Illinois has Chicago or New York City and New York. We have just a separation of these cities that can't get quite get along. You have this this thing where the Republican-dominated state-level government is consolidating their power around suburban-based land use mm-hmm. solutions instead right. of actually looking at urban things because that would that would be counter 
beneficial to them. In states that have this kind of dynamic, what I see a lot is where the governor and the legislature, even though you know, kind of a core Republican ethic is local control, minimalist, centralized government, tend to micromanage the heck out of major urban areas. Is that what you're experiencing too? We had a representative from the area of Springboro, which is actually closer to Dayton than is Cincinnati, introduced legislation banning the use of state money for the streetcar project a couple years ago. <laughs> so, and, and you know, of course, this guy lives in Cincinnati, or she lives in Springboro, which is how far? Which is about. 45 minutes to an hour away from Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. So she's offended by what you're doing. Yeah, and so yeah. she introduced the bill, and it passed. Okay. And so you, we continue to have state legislators kind of muddling around with cities. They, In the last several budget cycles, the governor has cut funding to a local government fund, cut the estate tax in, in, in the state of Ohio, so local governments are getting less and less funding. And we had a situation developed a couple years ago where uh, the townships actually – I guess, contract out. They had their own police force. Some of them could not afford their own police forces. They had to contract out the county. Uh, they were going to lose parts of their police protection, and they couldn't afford to actually either have their own apartment or a contract with the county. So you're starting to see like this impact the ability for local governments to deliver basic services to the populations. I mean, Cincinnati has they passed a budget that somewhat relies on a lot of one-time fixes right now. They did initially project a deficit, and most of the deficit comes from the reduction of that state funding that we used to get a couple years ago. Right. And so we're seeing this era where we basically have to look at trying to go our own way. You know, we, we talk about uh, the Ponzi scheme of, of the suburbs yeah. and sprawl. Yeah. In the same effect, the cities need to learn how to become more self-reliant and not rely on state government. Because as long as we have people in there taking away the money that used to come to cities, cities have to figure out a way to generate their own revenues and their own resources. Right, right. And then to me, that's the, the natural like, devolution of responsibility. Mm-hmm. The responsibility has always been at the local level, ultimately. But there's been some like, state help. And that's what's kind of going away. And, and I see states, you know, to me, the ones that can say, look, we're not going to meddle we're not going to tell you what to do, but we're also not going to baby you and support you. I see a lot more mayors and a lot more local officials saying that's the state we want. Mm-hmm. We, we actually can solve some of these problems at the local level. If you just let us keep our money and stop telling us what to do, we're resourceful enough where we'll figure it out. And Cincinnati seems like one of those places. Yeah. We um, recently passed the form-based code and we're, we're doing our zoning ordinance and, and hoping to basically – you know, take these very auto-dominated areas of our city and redevelop them into something that's more productive. You know, the work that's been going on over the Rhine and the urban core has been predominantly focused on increasing jobs and property values and and, uh, population to uh, basically continue to have more people investing more money into the city. We experienced the first population estimate increase since the 2010 census this past year, which it's is a good huge. thing. Yeah. yeah, so we're we're just this much closer to three hundred thousand again, and a population of downtown is is swell is swelled to over thirteen thousand residents. Yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. It's coming. It's coming along. It's just you have got to continue to, to build on the excitement and continue to create that positive rollout of, of good things going on in the city. Yeah. Are you a Reds fan? 
I don't follow them as close as I used to okay. follow them. So you're not uh, a baseball, real baseball guy. Well, I've, I've been went to opening day. Okay, uh, okay. Well, that's like you know, there mm-hmm. you're there. Mm-hmm. All right. So well, Reds, but not a Cleveland Indians fan. No, no, no. Okay, good because those guys are. I hate I, those guys. I was actually a bigger Bengals fan, but oh yeah, uh, yeah, Bengals. But I've, yeah. I've, I've I've kind of. I was I was a big Bengals fan during the Carson Palmer and Chad right, Johnson era. Right. And, yeah. And then after a while, I... Not the, about the Boomer Esiason era. That <laughs> not, was a, yeah. Who was the goofy guy that you had? Goofy, I loved him. Uh-huh. Who would do like the crazy dance? Like That was he, Chad Johnson. No, 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 no. It was before oh, him. Really? It was like the Iggy Shuffle or something like that. Oh, Iggy, Iggy Woods. Woods, yeah. Oh, okay. That guy was like, mm-hmm. I loved that guy. He was kind of fun, but <laughs> that was that's old school. See, it's, it's the same for me. Like, I like the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got married, mm-hmm. and I like the Vikings a little bit less. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Skylar. This is what happens when you get <laughs> married. You like your sports mm-hmm. teams less because your wife, like, wants to do something on Sunday, not watch football. And then, you know, I had kids, and now I don't even know what football is. And then the Vikings go and build this ridiculous, like, subsidized stadium, and now I actually hate them. So this is all, <laughs> the whole, like, evolution of well, that, that happened in Cincinnati with the, the, the construction of the stadium yeah. in the riverfront. It was funded with a sales tax increase, and, and you know, the cost overruns for that stadium has just left a, a very bitter taste in a lot of uh, sure. residents. Sure. Well, they us. just need to win, mm-hmm. right? That's what they keep telling us. They need to make it further than the first playoff game. <laughs> Cincinnati is named after Cincinnatus, mm-hmm. right? Is that a part of like the local mythology, or is it just a name? Like, do people talk about the whole Cincinnatus? Like, our leaders have to be bigger than themselves. As you know, they've got to be able to willing to step back and you know pursue the public good. Is it just the name and a campaign rhetoric, or does it actually seep into the local ethic to a degree? I think it does kind of seep into local ethic. I remember um, a couple years ago, I taken a tour of City Hall, and they were talking about Cincinnatus, Roman, and then also the reference that uh, there's a common reference that Cincinnati is also a city of seven hills. Okay. Uh, so there's, yeah, that, there's also that, that kind wow, of like yeah. Roman reference as well. Uh-huh. So, and the other thing that's kind of like really kind of poignant in city legislative history is, of course, the elimination of the Boss Cox machine and the rise of the Charterite Party, sure. which did charter reforms to bring in good, basically started the good government movement in, in the entire country. So that came out of Cincinnati. Wow. And I think part of that does come from an aspiration of Cincinnati. So it doesn't happen every day. You yeah. don't see it every, every city council meeting. No, it's but, perfect, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, fascinating. So it is something that kind of like we stand by. And, you know, Cincinnatians, of course, we're all very, very much history lovers. So it's in our blood. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for the work you do. Say hi to Randy, one of my favorite guys. I said last year at the CNU, I think he, I know I was quoted somewhere saying I thought he was the best looking guy at CNU. (laughs) He's like, he's like always sharply dressed. Always like well put together, mm-hmm. just a cool guy. And then Travis, mm-hmm. say hi to him as well. So. I, I shall. Thank you. And mm-hmm. urbansincy.org or dot? It's urbansincy.com. Urbansincy.com is the website. I'll put it on our blog so people can get a hold of that. Thanks for being cool. on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Take care, everybody, and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Oh, 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 oh.
Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah. Grandfather is always telling me that good government and clear laws are the foundation of Rome's greatness because they bring out the best in our exceptional people. Cincinnatus is one of his favorite heroes. Way back in the early days of our republic, almost 600 years ago, Cincinnatus served a year as consul of Rome. When his term was up, he went to live on his little farm outside the city. 